So we are in Hebrews chapter 10, almost to the end, not quite there, still got a little ways to go, but we're in chapter 10 today. And for those who might just be jumping on the call, I want to ask you a question. Hebrews has been very rich. Sometimes people think it's a tough book, and it is. It's because it refers a lot to the Old Testament sacrificial system. It refers a lot to things that we may not be familiar with. If you don't read Exodus, if you don't read Leviticus, or have not spent any significant time there. And for us, we don't offer sacrifices. I mean, we don't, we don't have lambs in our backyard that we take to a temple and sacrifice. We don't have bulls and goats, the things that they did. But that was very much a part of their system. And, you know, for us, we've only known really the sacrifice of Jesus, most of us. Just the story of his sacrifice on the cross. And, you know, as we think about the cross and we think about things, somewhere along the line, the cross became offensive to people. And, and we, we, we actually have seen the message of the cross get diminished to where now a lot of times pastors will preach about Christ as our example rather than focusing on his death. They speak about his death plus something. People actually teach that it's his death plus you have to belong to this particular faith community or a particular church. Or you have to have his death plus you have to do something. You know, in, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, you know what? I didn't teach anything but the cross. I didn't teach anything but Christ crucified. I didn't rely on my wisdom. I didn't rely on fancy words. In fact, in Galatians 6, he said, may I never boast in anything but the cross. And, and what we've been looking at in Hebrews, especially the last couple of weeks in chapter 9, is that Jesus is a better priest, a better uh, uh, sacrifice And for us to think about that in context, it's hard to just jump in for some people. You can still get the truth from today, but really I encourage you to go back if you haven't really been a part of these lessons or to go back and do your own study of Hebrews 1 through 9 to understand what this writer's doing. In fact, uh, for those who are just joining, Hebrews is written to primarily three groups of people. One of them is a, uh, a group of people that are all in with him. They've, they've surrendered their life to him as Messiah and their leader, their king, their, their high priest. He's everything. He is, he is superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua, to angels. Uh, and, but because in their system, the high priest was the most important feature. And so he's constantly being referred to as the high priest. But he's not just any high priest. He's like Melchizedek, who's mentioned in chapter 5. And Melchizedek was a king, king of righteousness, king of peace, and he was the high priest. And and so um, one of the things that this writer is trying to get across is that Jesus secured a better covenant with a better sacrifice, and he was a better priest. He, it was, he was sufficient for everything. And I think in our minds we know that, but we don't always live like that. And, and, and especially we find this true when we blow it. We have a 
a, a moral failure, we have a personal failure, or, or people around us um, cause us to look inward uh, for our identity instead of to look to Christ for our identity. When we go in those places, a lot of times we, we want to add to what Jesus did on the cross to give us the eternal hope that should make everything else pale. Now listen, it doesn't mean that life's not painful here. Life is full of pain on earth. It is. But we have a hope that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that should make all these things we deal with here light and temporary in our minds. And, and I just think, especially now as we go through the pandemic and everything that's been going on and what we're going to see, especially in the coming months with the economy, guys, listen, you know, I think we better strap our bootstraps on really good and, and get ready because I think we're going to see things in the next couple of years economically, civil unrest. We're going to see things uh, because of everything that has been happening and what's happened kind of an accordion effect that we are going to have a great opportunity to be a light in a dark world, but we need to, to have this real belief. It can't just be something up here in our heads. It has to be something that is in our hearts that is lived out through us, this hope in Jesus being enough. And only Jesus. And I think we talk about it a lot, but, but if it was really as important as it should be to us, wouldn't we talk about it more with people? I mean, why is it that we don't want to share? And I know the answers of I'm afraid or sometimes there's fear, whatever. But if we really possess, let's say that Dave Wilbert, you had the cure to COVID-19. Somehow you had a connection you had a connection to the doctors and the scientists who have, are working on it. They came up with a cure. They were good friends of yours. And they said, here, I'm giving you this cure. And you had access to get more of it. Would you go, I'm really afraid to tell this person next door about it. I'm not going to do that. No, you know what? They may reject me and they may laugh at me. They may not. We wouldn't. Because everybody now understands the seriousness of this disease, even though the mortality rate isn't as bad as the eternal mortality rate for not having Jesus in your life. Now, I want you to think about that. So the reality is, without Christ, we're all destined for the eternal wrath of God. Not just... This is not a human being being angry with you. This is the creator of the universe, his wrath poured out on us. It's more than we can handle. It was not more than Jesus could handle. He took it all for us. And that's the whole point of what he's trying to say in this text today. And so last week, chapter 9 brought out the necessity for a sacrifice. Uh, and he, he makes this argument in there about a will demands a death. You can't give an inheritance without a death. There has to be a death for the will to be legally active. And then forgiveness demands blood being shed. That was clear in chapter 9. And then uh, he also said our salvation demands a substitute. And what he's trying to get across in all of it is that Jesus is supreme. He's a better priest who secures a better covenant with a better sacrifice. And that's really from chapter 5 on through what we've been covering. That's what he's trying to get across. It's this idea that Jesus is 
supreme. He's supreme to everything. And he's using their system, the Jewish people's system, because that was the, the mechanism that he was trying to foreshadow Jesus to the world. I don't know if you've really thought about that, but the mechanism for God to present to the world a primer on our salvation was the Jewish sacrificial system. And so it was never meant to be the end all. It was just a shadow and a picture. And we talked about that. And so as we go into this text today in Hebrews 10, 1 through 18, the word that keeps popping into my mind is, or the, the words are, it is finished. If you could sum up this, this text today, it is completed. Are we resting in his completed work? You know, as you think about your own sin, how do you deal with it? How can we have our sins removed? Everyone should know what Jesus has done for them. If you were growing up, if your dad did something great, wouldn't you tell other kids about it? My dad, my dad, man, my dad's awesome. You know what he did? My dad did this. Everybody should know what Jesus did for them. And I want you to stop and think about our neighbor for a second, our coworker. And, and, and think about just asking them this question. Hey, do you know what Jesus has done for you? That may, that may cause a, some of us to step back a little bit. Oh, I'm not ready to do that. I don't even know the guy. Again, in COVID, as we're dealing with the virus right now, I'm finding people talking to other people in the neighborhood more than ever before. In fact, they had a block party the other day, kind of uh, with distancing. People were having a wine social out in our neighborhood. I go by and I'm like, what's going on? And, and, and I, I didn't, I, you know, I, didn't, I thought it was somebody's birthday. No, no, we just wanted to get together. And they were practicing social distancing, but they were there. And and. You know what? I felt compelled to say something to the neighbor, to the one I was talking to, and I didn't. You know, just to say, you know, well, I, I mean, I talked to him, but I didn't ask anybody about this. I did ask my Jewish neighbor who lives across the street from me about how's he doing with this and has, he, has it made him think of his own faith and what he's doing with, with you know, what Jesus has done for him. And, and, you know, he and I have had a lot of good conversations now, but what about you? Are you asking anybody, do you know what Jesus has done for you? You know what? If that you ask him that, Don, and they go, no, and I don't want to, okay, now I'll just pray for him. But if you never ask them, if you, if you had the cure for COVID-19 in the midst of what we're dealing with, and you walked around and, and you had people around you that you knew needed it. You knew needed it. And you didn't ask. That would not be a very loving thing. You would want people to ask you. And I was convicted one time when I was in the Marine Corps because I, I went through flight school with a guy and I played tennis with him. But I wasn't very active in sharing my faith at that particular point. And I met him 20-something years later at a church when I'm a missionary in South Carolina, I'm speaking at this church, and I see him, and I was excited to see this guy. He was a Marine pilot with me, and I hadn't seen him in so long. And I go up to him, and I go, wow, man, 
uh, are you a person of faith? I mean, I, are you visiting? What is it? Because he was not a person of faith when I knew him. And he goes, yeah, man, my wife, I met my wife. And, and you know, we, I, I started going to this church and I love Jesus and all this stuff. And, and we're talking, and at the end of the conversation, he goes, can I ask you something? How long were you, have you been a person of faith? And I told him, he goes, why didn't you ever tell me when we were in the Marine Corps? And I was like, oh, man, it hit me. It rocked me. Because the truth is, if I ask somebody and they, they disregard it, then, then they've made a choice but I feel like we have something so great, we at least need to ask him. And in this text today, God reveals the sufficiency, the completeness of Christ and what he did on the cross, that divine wrath was poured out on divine righteousness for sinful humanity, which we're a part of, to secure forever God's children. And here's the deal, guys. God's children are out there. We don't know who they are, but he might just be wanting to use you, Gilbert, or you, Bill, to share with them. And so we have a responsibility. And what he's saying in this text today is the work is done. Do you know how few people are preaching or teaching, or sharing, that it's over, it's done. You don't have to do anything with God to have your sins taken away. Everyone struggles, guys, deep down with what are they going to do with their sins. And that's what he really deals with today. And so in the text today, we're going to look at basically four things God reveals to us. First, real simple, the first thing is in verses 1 through 4, he reveals our problem. He reveals our problem. You know what? What our problem is? What do we do with our sin? What do we do with our sin? That's our problem with humanity. And the old system never took it away. It merely postponed how it was paid for. So that's the problem. What do we do with our sin? Second, it reveals His solution. God's solution is Jesus' death is sufficient. His death is sufficient. And that's in verses 5 through 7. And then in verses 8 through 14, it re- God reveals our benefits from His solution. What are those benefits? We're freed forever from the sin requirement, from the sin payment. Two, we're sanctified forever. That, that, that word, we'll get into it later, but basically, He says, once for all, you, you are clean. You are holy forever. It doesn't matter, Gil, that you blow it. (laughs) It doesn't matter that you blow it. In God's eyes, as he looks at us, doesn't mean there's not consequences on earth, but it means that you are clean as far as God's concerned forever. And guys, that's amazing. Third, uh, and under the benefits, is we're secured forever. You don't have to worry that blowing it, John, takes you out of his family. It does away with what he did. And that's what he's trying to get across. And it's not only secured forever, it says perfected. And that word perfected, if you remember from Hebrews, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. What that word means in Hebrews is that you're forever in relationship with the Father, even when you blow it on earth because of Jesus. That's under the benefits of of the will that we get. And then the fourth thing he reveals in this text in verse 15, uh, really through 18, is his guarantee. It's like, 
okay, you, you know, you have you ever paid for a warranty on something, that extended warranty, and you go, you, this is God saying, this is my guarantee. This is how, what I'm going to do for you to make sure this happens. And what that is, is His Holy Spirit. It's His Holy Spirit. And so, as we look at this text in uh, 10, 1 through 18, that's what we're looking at. He reveals our problem. He reveals uh, his solution, our benefits, and his guarantee. So open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Hebrews chapter 10 and read with me as we read 1 through 18. Okay? Starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin or sins. But in these sacrifices... There is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. May God bless His Word. So as we look at that first section there, verse 1, he refers to the law being a shadow. And and that word shadow means a form without substance. And when he refers to the law there, he's not just talking about the moral law, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. What he's talking about is the sacrificial system of temple worship or tabernacle worship and the sacrifice. And he's saying that's not the reality. The animal sacrifices were insufficient to satisfy God's demands for justice. So what do we do with our sins? How do we deal with them? 
And, and, and so the, the law was never meant to take them away eternally. Remember, it was a primer. It was a, a kind of a precursor to Christ. He says in verse 2, it can't cleanse me. He says, otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered. In other words, if they would have taken away your sins, plural, then it wouldn't have continued to be offered every year. It can't cleanse us, guys. Those animal sacrifices only covered temporarily the sins. But verse 3 talks about it being a reminder. In fact, in verse 3, he says, there is a reminder of sins every year. I want you to stop and think for a second. All the bulls, the goats, the lambs, every sacrifice, hundreds of thousands over the years of bloody sacrifices, that blood flowing down into the Kidron Valley. In the tabernacle, when they would sacrifice, I just read today, I was reading about uh, John Perry, how every tribe initially, when they left and the tabernacle was constructed, had to give a bull and they had to give uh, a bunch of lambs and a bunch of goats. And, and there was all, I mean, there was all these 12 tribes giving all these animals to be slaughtered and it was a reminder of sins and the cost of sin. Now, I said this last week, I think. If you think about a goat dying, that's going to stick with you for a little bit. But what do you think about when God himself comes down in the form of a human and takes your punishment? See, those things could never keep you. That's why they did it every year. Because people would forget. They'd, they'd be going away from the tabernacle or going away from the temple. And I, I guarantee you, within a few weeks, they've forgotten what their, what their sin did to that animal. And, and so it was an every year thing to remind them of the need. Or whenever they violated the ceremonial law or they violated whatever the, the, the spiritual thing was they would offer a sin sacrifice, a burn offering, a peace offering. And so those things were all reminders. It could never cleanse. It was it reminded them of the cost of disobedience. And he says in verse four, it's impossible. The law can't bring me into God's presence whenever I offer a sacrifice. It just merely offered a covering. Remember, the only person that went into his presence was who? The high priest. The sacrifices were meaningless for the people uh, to have this internal relationship with God. It was an external covering to basically just make it allowable to the next year as a nation. And so um, Psalm 51, you remember when David uh, was writing about his sin with Bathsheba? He said in Psalm 51, 16, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it to you. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. And then he says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Do you think you get that, Teddy, from a, a goat, a, a lamb? That's external covering. That's what that is. And, you know, as, as you think about that, that that sacrifice, it should make you humble. It should make you sorrowful, but it doesn't. First Samuel, you remember first Samuel, what was going on? First Samuel 15, um, King Saul had blown it and he was trying to 
do the sacrifices and, and do things to make things right on his own. And you know what Samuel said? Listen, Sam, uh, Saul, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obedience? Because obedience, Phil, comes from an internal. And you guys know this. When you try to enforce things with your children based on external, how does that work out for us? Doesn't work out too good. It has to come from internal. You know what God says in Isaiah 1? He says, listen, I have more than enough sacrifices, Nick. <laughs> he says, I got more than enough. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Stop bringing me this, these meaningless sacrifices because your hearts are far from me. Is what he's saying. And in Isaiah 66, he says, for when I called, nobody answered. When I spoke, no one listened. And, and what he's saying is the most important thing for God's people is an internal change, not an external change. It's great. These animal sacrifices were all pointing to Jesus. Jeremiah 7, Jesus said, I mean, I'm, Jeremiah said, I did not just give them commands about offerings. And he's referring back to Israel. He says, obey me. And I will be my God. I will be your God and you will be my people. In other words, he's saying it's not just about the external. It was never about the external. It was about the internal. And what he wants us to understand is, and this is what he says in Micah 6. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require? You know, Chuck, I hear a lot of times, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Micah 6.8 says, what does the Lord require of you? And he says, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Do we do that? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. It's hard to do that. In fact, we can't do it. It's impossible for us to do it. We try. And we fail. And the sacrifices of a, you know, of a lamb, a bull, a goat, they don't cut it. There's one person in the entire human history that 24-7 acted justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly. And that was Jesus. And he was the perfect sacrifice. So what do we do with our sin? God says there's nothing that this blood of a goat this blood of a lamb is going to take away eternally. But his solution in verses 5 through 7 was that Jesus' death is sufficient. Jesus does what God desires. He did it. from. I mean, he desired that from every worshiper in the Old Covenant and under the Old Covenant. He did not want animal sacrifices. They were merely a shadow, a picture. What he wanted then and what he wants now is obedience. The only sacrifice that's acceptable to God to cover our disobedience is Jesus Christ, period. You see, God made you and I for a dependent relationship on Him. It's not that we're ever perfect, Jimmy. It's that we need Him. And, and what He wants us to understand more than anything else is that when we blow it, we come to Him in need. I, I go back to this a lot, this publican and the, the religious leader. When the religious leader said, thank you that I'm not like that guy. And the, and the one guy says, I can't even look up. 
and he was acknowledging his need. And so often we don't acknowledge our need. That's the gospel that God sent His Son Jesus 2,000 years ago who walked the perfect life. He did act justly. He did love mercy. He did walk humbly. He cared for people. He healed the sick. He cared about others more than Himself. And what He did is He always surrendered Himself. This is key. He always surrendered Himself to the Father's will. I want you to think about that. Jesus, what he does in verses 5 through 7 is the writer's quoting from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. He paraphrases it a little bit, but what he's doing is he's laying out these characteristics of the solution of God, that Jesus did everything we couldn't do. That's why he completes it all. That's why he was a perfect sacrifice. That's why he, he, he was born to a virgin. He did not have this disobedient, prideful heart like you and I do. But the, the most important thing about him was he was eternal. And, and, you know, think back to John 6. He says, I've come down from heaven. He was not like you or me in the sense that he was from here. He was 100% God, 100% man, and he was eternal. That way, he was perfect. He was able to bear the divine justice because he was divine. But yet, in verse 5, he was also human. He says, a body you have prepared. Quoting back from the Old Testament, he changes it a little bit in the, in the Greek but he's saying a body you have prepared. He had to be human to die. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about that. So he was eternal. He was human. Verse 7 says, it was written of me. It was preordained. It was ordained by God. 300 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. Over 2,000 years earlier. Remember, I, all right, so I want you to think for a second. Somebody shows up at your church, as you're worshiping, and they say, oh, all that stuff you've been learning about, I'm that guy. The one who's coming again, that's me. That's what he did in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He read from Isaiah, and he said, this is me, guys. If he wasn't that, he's incredibly arrogant. This is why I, I love C.S. Lewis, is, is, uh, you know, his... Um, mere Christianity, where he talks about Jesus Christ was either a liar and knew he was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. He was one of those three. You don't show up and say, I fulfill all these things and be a good teacher the way a lot of people say he is. People who won't bow their knee to him, who won't receive him as a complete sacrifice. But he was he was the guy who fulfilled all the prophecies. He was 100% human, 100% divine. And in verse 8, he says, he showed up, what? To do the Father's will. He also says that later in verse 9, and again in verse 10, he did the Father's will. He was surrendered. He was beaten. He was stripped. He was crucified. And in John 4, you know what he says? He said, my food, remember when he was at the, the, the well with the Samaritan woman? And they go, hey, you don't have any food. I wonder if he's asking her for food. And you know what he says? He says, my food is to do the will of the Father. You want a gut check? Think about our life. Think about 
what we do with the Father's will for our life. Do we even consult him in the morning what his will is? A lot of times we don't. A lot of times we just blow through life and then we realize, whoa, wait a minute, I'm going here on autopilot. He never wanted us to be on autopilot. He wants us every day to get up, acknowledge him, praise him, spend time with him and say, okay, Lord, what's my marching orders? You know, Kent Ralston, you were in the Marine Corps. Could you ever imagine a Marine getting up and going, you know what? Um, I'm just going to do what I want to do today. I'm, 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 you know what? I'm on my own. What, the first thing we did in the morning, we had a daily briefing. What, what's going on? There might be a conflict somewhere we need to go to or prepare for. There might be a training that got changed that we don't know about. No Marine would ever believe that his day was his day. When you got in the Marine Corps, uh, they told me if the Marine Corps wanted a wife for me, they would have gave me one. I mean, it came above everything. Why? Because I was in a war. I was in a battle always. I had a battle mentality. The problem with us as believers we live like we're on a cruise ship, not a battleship. And I've said this before. We need to be warriors, okay? We need to have a mentality that I am God's and whatever he wants, I'm surrendered to him. That's really, Jesus did model that for us. And we really need to think about that. Am I surrendered to his will? Are we abandoned to him? I got a text last night for a guy, uh, from a guy that I worked with 10, 12 years ago. And he said, you know what? I was writing, I was going through a Bible study tonight, and I came across your name written in my Bible under Luke 9.23. It was a message you preached, which basically says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. T deny yourself. This is what Jesus said. Remember what he said? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We live, a, we live in a world that says, don't deny yourself. It's all about you. We live in a world that says, listen, you got to do everything you can to preserve life. We live in a world that says, you know what? You, you don't have to follow Jesus. All you have to do is believe in him. You, you just believe in him. You don't have to follow him. Well, the whole reason that he redeemed us as his children is so that we could be a part of his family, his army, and we could be little Jesus everywhere to people. We could be kingdom priests, under shepherds, under priests everywhere. It's what he said in Exodus, what God said, and what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.9. So that's the solution to our problem. What do we do with our sin? Jesus completed it. His death is sufficient. It, you can't add to it. No matter what you do that's bad, you can't add to what he's already done. And in verses 8 through 14, he reveals our benefits from what he did. The new covenant benefits, the inheritance benefits. The first thing he says in verses 8 and 9 is he does away with the first to establish the second. You know what he's saying there? We're freed forever. The message of the tabernacle was stay away. Remember a linen wall. Remember the linen wall? There's a barrier of holiness between God and people. There was a need for a priest. There was a holy of holies. Only the high priest could go through there. There was a curtain that separated. 
But, but what the second covenant says, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, says that we're freed from ever for that. It's no longer stay away. It's now come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, those who are heavy laden. Come to me. Why? The linen wall, done away with. The need for a priest, done away with. The holy of holies, the curtains torn. He's done away with it. And, and guys, that means we're freed for a relationship with the holy of holies in God's presence forever. And he says in verse 10, once for all, we're sanctified forever. Now the word sanctified is the same Greek root word for saint, holy, sanctified. It's all the same Greek root word, which it means to be made right with. To be set apart. The Hebrew word, the Greek word means to be made right with. The Hebrew word means to be cut apart, set apart. So listen, if the Apostle Paul who killed Christians can be holy and set apart, anybody can. If Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons in her, can be set apart and holy, anybody can. If Zacchaeus, who ripped off people and took their money because he was greedy, could be holy and set apart, anyone can. If Levi, who also did the same thing Matthew, or Zacchaeus did, if the Corinthians, the Romans, the Ephesians, people who lived very defiling lifestyles, sexually immoral lifestyles, can be holy and set apart, anyone can. And whether it's Ted Bundy or Billy Graham, they're all special, not because of what they do, but because of what Jesus did. That's the message he's trying to tell people is that it's a once for all thing. You are sanctified not because of what you do, but of what he did. And in verse 11 through 13, he brings up the fact in verse 12, it's a single sacrifice. And he sat down. There's no chairs in the Holy of Holies. It says in this, this passage here that the priests stand. Why? They're constantly doing their work. They're constantly having to do more sacrifices. It says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? His work was done. When you know who God is, guys, and you know who you are in Him, you're going to be transformed by His grace and His mercy because you know He's completed it all. You can add nothing to it. You can't... Uh, <laughs> I think so often we feel like we have to go do for God to get this eternal security, to get this uh, sanctification. It's not what we do. He's doing it in us if we're reflecting on Him. Before we ever respond to what God says, we have to reflect on who He is. We've got to think about what He's done and who He is and what He brings to me. And He says in verse 14, perfected forever. <laughs> the Greek word there is the word telos, which we get the word telegram, telephone. And what it means is to take something to another destination completely. In fact, the word that he uttered in John 19.30, to telestai, comes from that word. It means his death is perfect. We can't add anything to it. it baptism doesn't add to it. Going to church doesn't add to it. Whatever Jesus accomplished on the cross took it all for us. It's perfected forever. 
And you will never add one single thing to what Christ did for you to make you holy or acceptable to God. He did it all. So you're freed forever, you're sanctified forever, you're secured forever, and you're perfected. And remember, that word perfected doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you have a relationship 24-7 with God the Father. That's awesome, isn't it? And in verse 15 through 18, you know what it is? It's like a big amen. That's what it is. It's like a, he's saying he reveals his guarantee. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us. The eternal witness is his presence in us. And, you know, he says, I'm going to put my, my law in their minds and hearts. They are forgiven. And I think of Matthew 28. It says, I am with you always. I'm with you always. It's his guarantee And he finished it on the cross. And the Holy Spirit inside of us is what testifies. It testifies that, yes, it is finished. I don't have to add to it. And you go, but yeah, but what about these guys over here that think they have to do this or that? You know what it says in 2 Corinthians? It says, only those the Spirit enlightens can understand. And even if the gospel is veiled, it says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of their unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God said, God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus did it all. He's sufficient. He's supreme. It's finished at the cross. That's what he said. To tell us die. The debt is paid. It is done. His divine wrath poured out on a divine being to satisfy divine judgment so that divine righteousness is poured out on you, Mark. On you, Mike. It's poured out on you, Joe. His divine righteousness, no matter what you do ever, it is poured out on you. You can't repeat it. You can't add anything to it. It is done. That's what he's telling these people. The question is, what do we do with that? And again, I go back to, are we asking people, hey, do you know what Jesus has done for you? Do you want to know what he's done for you? Can I share with you what he's done for me? He did it all. My sins are gone. The, the judgment, yeah, I'm, I'm a broken vessel, but he took it all. And I want to tell you about it if you'd let me. That's what he wants us to be about doing. That's how we function as kingdom priests. That's really the message of Hebrews 10. That's really the message of the whole book. Jesus is supreme. He's done it all. And so as we kind of finish our time today, I just want you to, to think about this one thought for yourself. Am I trying to add to what he did or am I resting? Am I resting in him? Am I resting in what he accomplished on the cross? Am I trying to alter what he did or add to it? That's what he's, that's the main thrust of today. Because guys, I'm going to tell you, there's an incredible peace in the midst of bad circumstances when you reflect on that. And again, your reflection on that will help you more better respond to his laws on your heart, and to what he's called us to do and be surrendered to him. I hope that makes sense. Uh, Phil, um, would you be willing to do that for us, brother?
Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to uh, study your word. Thank you, Doug, and giving him the uh, words to speak that brings uh, illumination to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us about your uh, tremendous sacrifice. And Lord, we just pray that we would take this simple but profound message forward to all those that are in our community, in our circle of friends and neighbors, Lord, the world is so desperate for you, and we are so mute on this whole subject, and Doug has said, Lord, convict our hearts, bring boldness to us as we go forward today. May we um, prepare our hearts to, and prick our hearts to uh, be bold with our neighbors, and be bold with those who uh, we come in contact with, because uh, every human is concerned about the sins that they have built up over their life. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this, this time. Thank you for the uh, men that have all uh, stayed and are uh, studying your word with Doug. And, and Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your bounty, and your blessing every single day. And we give you the glory and all the praise in Jesus' precious name.